founders want a couple things. They want more VCs around the table and they want diverse VCs around the table. We now have white men asking us for more diversity on the cap table. That's where this industry is going. This is actually really important because a lot of big VCs are gonna miss out on it. They don't, they don't get it. They haven't built their firms and their LP base and their founder base in such a way to be able to compete. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. Today, we have a special episode for you. We have myself, Gail, who's our general partner, Caroline, who's also a partner here at Vitalize, and Larissa, who's our community manager, on the show talking about a wide variety of topics. You'll get to learn a little bit more about some members of our team, our backgrounds, and a few thoughts on startups, angel investing, venture capital, and much more. Let's dive in. It's exciting time for Vitalize. We have a lot going on. Let's talk about the beginnings first. We'll ease into things here. Gail. <laughs> yes. 2012, you start Irish Angels. Why get into venture in the first place? Let's just start something softball and we'll go from there. I was not expecting to be in venture. I had started a couple businesses before uh, Irish Angels, both of which failed, went to business school, pretty much triple majored in entrepreneurship <laughs> and nothing else. So it was a lot of fun. And then this kind of fell in my lap when I was graduating the opportunity to start an angel investment network. And it was it was an opportunity to start a business, to help others start a business, and I just couldn't pass it up. Okay. And from that, Caroline, you joining Gail. Why why Gail? Why did you like okay, I'm gonna spend the next it could be decades with this person. Why Gail? You know, at the time it was a bit of a risk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I was at GE Ventures prior, and when GE Ventures shut down, I was looking for something, wanted to try venture. I had been more on the operating side of a startup within GE, and so Gail and I had connected, I think, through the Notre Dame network somehow, and honestly just liked her vision, liked what I thought she was building, and the timing just worked out, and it's been, yeah, I just feel lucky that it worked out as it did. We have to talk about one thing that people don't all know about Caroline. With Before you joined Gail, <laughs> what'd you do those few months before you started at Vitalize, or Irish Angels like, at the time? What'd you do, Caroline? So I rode my bike across the country Whoa. from uh, New Hampshire to Washington State, and told Gail, she gave me the offer to join her in 2018. And I said, that sounds great. I would love to, I'll, I can start in four months. <laughs> and I said, go for it. Please send pictures. That's amazing. Did yeah. you have it planned out or was it just like, that's West, I'm going that way? No, it was an organized trip, oh. luckily. So I didn't have to do much planning. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna start. Follow yeah. the sun. I just like driving. <laughs> Maybe we can do it as a team building activity. I'm out. <laughs> so maybe three of the four can do it as a team building activity. I'll drive the van. <laughs> so, Gail, you don't drive the vehicle. Uh, Your husband drives when you do their yeah, six-week road trips. Tell me about those road trips that people don't know about. For, we're trying to get the background of the Vitalized team because I feel like we never actually know who these venture capitalists are. It's just like, oh, they're investing in startups. Even from that, those two like six-week stints you had of driving and going into Airbnbs, how was that? So I'm a big traveler, and obviously during the pandemic, at least at the beginning, that you know there was no air travel. So um, while my husband and I were having a house renovated in Chicago, we decided let's drive around with our dog. And so we, we traded in his Jeep Wrangler, which we still miss, and we got a nice family sedan and a Subaru Legacy, and we strapped the dog in in a seatbelt in the back, <laughs> put a bunch of stuff in the trunk, and we, you know, 
booked a bunch of Airbnbs and off we went. It I love really it. Fun. I love it so much. And I want to make sure Larissa, we get to you. So you, even your interest in Viralize, how did that start? Where did that come from? Why you were like, okay, this is something I want to do because you've done a lot of different things in your career too. Yes, Curious. I have. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> so I started my first company during the recession right after, out of UCI, uh, export business, exporting wine to Asia. Did that for seven years and then wanted to get my MBA. So then I went to USC where I met you. Yes. And I concentrated on entrepreneur and venture management. And then after that, I really wanted to get into VC, but then I also love like the zero to one of companies and just building it from an idea and making it a reality. So uh, worked with a couple founders on building stuff and then the pandemic hit and then did a lot of other stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? like what, like what, like <laughs> what? So right before the pandemic, I was working with um, another guy from USC and we were doing a, it was a CBD tea brand and we were bottling it and then we had uh, operations up. We had a, a ghost kitchen set up and everything. And then I think it was like two, three months later, right when we started production, pandemic hit, freaked out, moved home and <laughs> 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 shut down. Um, what else did I do? I worked with 10110 Ventures uh, during business school, helping build community for that. And what else did I do? And I also helped another another friend build up it was a an app and in the entertainment space and then we raised about 1.5 million for that and then now i'm here <laughs> the vitalized team is very diverse in many different ways which is why i love hearing these stories and telling these stories joining vitalized though getting to that point where you're like okay you were doing your own things you had different options of things you could have done like why join a venture firm and why try to run community for you i think i always loved community looking looking back at what I did like my import export company with China and wine was all about community so I built an international community all around wine education and that really helped with sales and I love working with people and I love the interaction and just helping people learn something that they may not know or learn more or just engage with people that way and venture I love working with founders and then especially during business school we had so many amazing speakers come in. Um, what else? Like, I met you there. We would just like the go to coffee part, shops and we'd just, <laughs> we'd like study, but then we'd start talking about some crazy idea. And it, I don't know, it's, it's fun. I love it. And so being able to meet other people who care about venture and helping other founders, especially early stage, I wake up yeah. every morning, I'm like, yes, this is what I get to do today. I love it. The founder energy is definitely infectious in a non-COVID way. And <laughs> it is amazing. I love it so much. I know, like, I'm sure Gail, Caroline, you talking to founders all the time. You get that same type of thing. But we were talking about before we started recording how it's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies and great adventure. No, no, you got to tell us your story. What do you want to know? Why did you join? Why did I join? So at the time, the context around it. And Justin's uh, been here for what? 14 months? Yeah, 14 months or so. So yeah, January 2021. So I was doing my own podcast full time. So that was basically I quit this other job. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to go for my own thing. I finally was going to do this, figure out sponsorships, all that with just go grind my other podcast. And I was like, all right, doing that for daily. I was like, OK, the number one thing you could do is frequency and just get better at the craft and everything. So I was like, I'm going to do it every single day. And also then it made it really easy to be like, OK, I'm gonna get referrals from every guest because I'm just gonna tell them straight up, like, hey, I'm doing this show daily. It's a more like ambitious venture. And then they'll introduce me to other cool people. And that happened like over and over again. They were like, oh yeah, because you're doing it. They're like, you're doing it daily, like every day. I'm like, yeah. And so that was amazing because I met more people, got better at interviewing and more comfortable with everything. 
and also forced me to be like, okay, well, I have to have a guest like every single day. And I'm just <laughs> like, how am I going to do this? And so I got the ball rolling with it. And as I was doing it more and more, then I was like, okay, I got some sponsorship dollars, nothing crazy, like a few grand here or there. And I was like, okay, I can see the path towards it, but it might take a while to grow this and everything. And then I don't know if I just saw like, yeah, like your content on Twitter. Like, I don't know how I found it, but I started seeing that. And like, just just so many people on Twitter, VC startups, founders, whatever. And for whatever reason, I was like, I was in that mode of like, okay, I need to get gas and everything. I was like, oh, a woman in VC, also not the norm. I'm like, that's amazing. And I was like, Oh, like these founders you're back. Amazing. I'm like, I want to talk to you. So I DM Gail and I was like, you should come on the podcast. And so she was like, like of course I'll, I'll come on the podcast. She came on the podcast and I was like, we, we chatted, had a great conversation. I think it was a week or two after that I saw the position originally that you had posted for like marketing community at Vialize. I literally just retweeted it. I was like, that's amazing. Sounds like a great role. Let me just retweet this for my network. I have a lot of people in my network. I'm doing my own thing, but this seems cool. And I remember going for a walk with my friend, Sandra. I was like, there's this position out there that like is kind of interesting. And I selfishly don't want someone else to take it. And I was like, "Let what should I do? What should, and she's like, well, if you're interested, you should like talk to her. But I remember before I messaged you, I was like, okay, what do I need to figure out before if I'm gonna even have a conversation? So I, mess, I think I emailed you like, is it remote was one of the things. And can I do my own podcast still? Because in the past I've had a, a role where they were like, not all about me doing my side thing. And to me, it was like, okay, well, I can see the value of this, this other podcast. It goes right in with what we're doing. So I hoped you didn't have a problem with that. And so as soon as you're like, yeah, no problem. And you're like, it's remote. I was like, okay, well, this is way too intriguing to pass up. And <laughs> like the, my the, ideal. yeah, exactly. The connections I had already were like a bunch of founders that were venture backed, starting to interview more VCs. Like this like is the culmination of all my skills would be like the best value to a venture firm. And so that, chat with you obviously chatted with other people on the team i love that it wasn't just like a white male led venture firm because i had interest from a different venture firm that was that and i was like eh like it's just another of the same and to me like doing something innovative and new is what always has been exciting for me and like doing a new path so that was interesting but with what gail was mentioning around the community side of it and like this different model where she was like talking about and then the team itself like gail and caroline everyone else in the team was like oh this is like different <laughs> And so because of that, I was like, all right, let's do this. Justin, how many podcast episodes have you done? So now for my show, it's been like 320. Mm -hmm. We've done 38 or so of Vitalizes. And then I've been, I've helped produce another video show where we did about 15 before I yeah. ended wow. that one. And then another show as a part of to help book guests, we did another 10 or 20 while I was there that we booked guests for. It's like overall like 400 ish or so. And like, yeah, it's been quite the journey. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. It's been insane. But that is my little little background there as well. But now back to the task at hand, Gail. The non-fun things of venture. Tell me Real more. Real talk. Real talk with Gail Wilkinson. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to know? I want to know what, what's the, let's start with the least fun aspect of what you have to do. Of Everyone the, has this glamorous. Of the day-to-day -day job. Yeah. The, we work way too much. Let's talk about that. How much do you work? Um historically i've worked anywhere from 50 to 80 hours per week so 50 hours is a great week um and the other thing is that they're really just packed hours it's 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 being on and on and on because you gotta if you look at my calendar it's tons of meetings we talk to founders and lps these are limited partners that invest in our fund we talk to angels we talk to the team members we talk with others in the community there's a lot of travel there's you know 
you have to bring the energy all day long. And that's just the front end doing deals and getting investment. And then there's the back end in terms of running a company and figuring out how the processes work and who manages who and who are our service providers and all sorts of crazy stuff that has to that has to happen for this thing to, to go. So um, I think that's the part of venture we don't talk about a lot is just that it is a lot of work and we as a small team get to do pretty much everything that a big team does with a lot fewer resources. And which is why, you know, it's, it's actually kind of rare that venture firms our size have marketing and community positions. And we think it's really important to to try and build that out in the best way that we can to have more services and offerings for our founders and for our investors. Do you think that you'll actually get to a 40 hours a week? Like, what do you, what do you think you'll be able to sustainably get to eventually in terms of that time commitment? I think, I think we as a team have to get to 40 to 45 hours for full-time employees. Yeah. Um, and so the way that I think we have to do it is say no to the stuff that doesn't matter, stop doing it, uh, delegate what we can to other team members. So we've obviously got a pretty cool part-time program. We have a lot of folks on our team who do something very specific where they can get um, super empowered to run that portion of our business. And so we've met some amazing, talented folks that way. Um, so it's continuing to, to lean on those folks. And then just making sure that we are spending our time on stuff that is truly magic. It's value add. So that's what we're endeavoring to do this year. It's easy in this industry to get meetings booked all day long and then we yeah. have to do our jobs at night after work. <laughs> like I'm often sitting at the on the couch working <laughs> till I go to bed and I think that's pretty common in this industry and often folks think it's a very glamorous industry but it's not always like that. How did that change with COVID in terms of now we have remote so now everything's basically remote. Obviously you can still meet people in person but like now because so much is remote it's just like, oh, yeah, meeting with people all the time on Zoom or whatever. How did that change once COVID hit for you guys? It's just so much easier to, to keep working, which is not good. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the uh, 4,000 weeks right now. It's about time management. And it's not about how to be more efficient with your time. It's basically saying, look, you have 4,000 weeks to live. What do you want to do with your time? And if we get more efficient... We're just going to put other stuff into that time. So it, it's it's the inverse of that thinking. And it's like, okay, I, I definitely want to do these things in my time on this planet. And I have to just not do anything else. So I think that's, that's the lens through which I'm trying to recalibrate my time at work and in my personal life, quite honestly. It's like, it's got to be the stuff that matters. And I, I, I want our firm to focus on the stuff, just the stuff that matters and everything else. Like, look, we're not going to be able to do everything. But we want to jam on what what really matters. Oh, you have a personal life too outside of <laughs> yes, I, yes. Can't give that up. <laughs> it's so hard. There's so much going on constantly. To Caroline's point, like it's like looking at my list of things to do, and it's like okay, especially in like so in in the venture role, you could easily talk to more founders always, right? You could always have more meetings and book more meetings. In a creative role, I feel like you can always create more content. Mm -hmm. So like it never you have to draw the line somewhere. There's always FOMO too, like, oh, if I just talk with this one founder, this might be a big winner. So I don't want to miss out on talking to this one founder. And then it's just easy to keep doing that and doing that. Never cut it off. Have you seen that where you're like, look back and there's like a founder you just, you had in your inbox or something and you didn't get to or has ever happened? Yeah, all the time. I, I've gotten better about saying no to them and you just can't second guess yourself. You, you can't overbook your schedule to that extreme. How do you cut it off then, the, the schedule? Like, do you just say these times, this is what I have to do meetings for, 
like sorry guy like nope you won't like how's that work for you i've been trying no meeting fridays i'm curious what what works for others but for me i'm i'm trying to get things done on friday so i enter the weekend feeling like i don't have to work all weekend and i'm in a good spot until monday and so that's been working well for me i've still been having like three to four meetings on fridays (laughs) but i'm getting down i'm getting down to zero (laughs) what about about you guys i don't know i'm i always like i i love this part-time job and then i have my side things too i'm creating another wine brand so i'm always going to fill my time up with something I don't think I've ever not done anything. Like, sense. what do you do otherwise than like, just sit other? there? Like, what, what? I like to work out too. So, and then my thing too, I'm trying to turn off my phone at night, even though I normally have do not disturb or whatever. I try to shut it down, and then I naturally wake up at around six thirty or seven, and then I try not to immediately look at my phone and go through everything. I try to have a, a routine when it when it comes to my me time or sleep because yeah. I feel like that's valuable you spend so much time in bed so I want really quality sleep time so I could start the day yeah that's aspirational I feel like sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I don't always do that. I'm how much out. do you sleep Justin enough yeah when do you wake <laughs> up <laughs> depends on the day <laughs> depends on the day I think it's anywhere between three and four a.m. Yep, yep. which is then <laughs> I get some 3 a.m. emails quite often <laughs> <laughs> I'm, definitely not, I'm definitely not up the night before. Let's put it that way. It's definitely in the morning. And I will, and like it always has been a matter of finding whatever works for you. I mean, like everyone has their own schedule and their own thing. And like it's admittedly crazy. But like what if you guys message me even at like 7.30, like there's a chance I'm already like wound down. Like you kind of mentioned, like I'm like already, all right, like no more phone. Let's just, you know, do it in the morning. And it was like some of those are important. But a lot of times I'm like, oh, okay, I can, I can manage and just get up early and it'll be fine. I just operate way better then. So no one's picking me at 3 a.m. So what time do you go to bed? Between 8 and 9. So like somewhere between like 6 and 7 hours of sleep would be ideal. But it's not like every day because then sometimes you're like, all right, something's happening at nighttime. You go out or whatever and you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to get up at 3 and get like three <laughs> hours of sleep because I just can't function. The whole day won't be able to function. Like I feel like I could do it and then like the first half of the day you crank through it and you're like, okay. But I've done it enough times. You're <laughs> like – you're old enough to realize that's not the long-term play at all because <laughs> then you're just like exhausted the back half of the day your next day probably sucks too and then you're just like why did i do that why did i just get to sleep and then like mm-hmm. manage it but there's so many things that are top of mind that we're always we're always thinking about like, try to get done like you said there's like you don't have that you have that fomo too like projects that are out there and everything too so mm-hmm. vitalize stuff i'm i'm constantly like i need to build out more of the community there's so many other things i could do but then i have to f- i learn to be very very organized but so i'm like take one thing at a time and luckily gail's great i I would go into meetings when i first started i'm like oh my god i didn't do enough this week gail's gonna get mad (laughs) and then gail would be so nice about it got the hammer she said are you people about larissa (laughs) too many people are scared of me (laughs) but then i would feel so much better after because she would say how's your week going it's gonna feel overwhelming like you're not doing enough and she i felt like she understood exactly what i was thinking like if i had wrote her an email saying this stuff but then she would say just take it day by day and you're doing great it's fine this is a good this is a good answer for your question the amount that you drink from a fire hose and venture is insane because it's learning the industry it's learning the business i mean there's we were talking about this today too carolina that your to-do list is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and so this is actually a really really tough industry it's a really fun industry but there's ups and downs and like constant content and constant things to be doing and learning and it's you got to get really comfortable with the uncomfortable 
Yeah. Always. Yeah. I'm a, I have like OCD and I like my inbox to get to zero and I've had to get <laughs> used to the fact that it's not going to be at zero anymore. <laughs> I feel like up until a few months ago, I was getting to inbox zero and those aspirations quickly were like, no, yeah. there's no way that's happening yeah. anymore. Where you're just like, there's like, how? And the problem I think too, like in venture, the hard part of it is like, to your point, you know, you don't want to have that FOMO. It's like every email requires, most emails require like an actual, you have to think about it and evaluate it. You're not just like, oh yeah, this is whatever. Sometimes easy for sure, but then you're like evaluating it. Like then there's partnership opportunities and all this stuff. You're like, makes you think for everyone. It's not like, oh, here's a hundred emails and you just crank through them quick. It's like, oh, I'll crank through 30 of them quick. Then you have to like think about more of the other ones. Then you're like, okay, this maybe will go to Larissa for this. This goes to John for this. This goes to Caroline for this. And like, you're always like thinking about that. I think, I think we should have Larissa explain what our angel community is so that everybody out there understands that, you know, we've got a fund and then we've got this angel community that feeds the fund. We're effectively building proprietary deal flow for our LPs. But we've got a second set of stakeholders that Larissa works with that are part of our firm. And and so there is confusion around that with LPs and would love would love to have you explain a little more how that works. Yeah. So we're open to non-accredited investors and I really like this cuz I feel like it opens up so many doors for people who may not have even thought about investing. We're really open with who could join us. I just had a call yesterday and he said, oh, I've been sharing this with a lot of my friends, but they're all accredited. I said, you know, we take it unaccredited too. He said, wow, I never knew that. I said, well, it says it on our website, first of all. But <laughs> Read, read, but thanks. <laughs> that was nice. But then he said, that's amazing. It's just, this can open so many doors for people. And he's actually... Um, in disabled tech. And so he's really uh, behind that and getting more diversity into investing. So that's what really makes me happy. Like that's my favorite part about this role too, is bringing diversity into check writing and on the founder side too. So yeah, right now we have almost 350 investors, angel investors. So I manage them. And it's a range between people who are like longtime investors, deep roots in the startup community, and have done this for a while. But then we also have people that are new to it and during the pandemic have dabbled in it. And they've come to me and they say, oh, I feel a little uh, not comfortable asking a question in the community because there's people that know so much more than me. I'm like, no, put the question out. Like we want engagement. There's other people thinking the same thing that you are and they want to learn. And if you start speaking up and just reaching out to the other angel community members, then, you know, that's that's how you learn. Yeah. And everyone's been super nice about it. Yeah, and then we're also rolling out, we have resources right now for those who wanna learn more about angel investing. So term sheets, um, how to evaluate startups, which you put together and that's great. And uh, they're really, I mean, I read through them all and I learned so much from them. And then rolling out the course soon, I'm super excited about that. And people, I've been getting a lot of good feedback. Like, when's that coming out? I wanna take it, so. Yeah, there's a lot with that on the educational side that people don't realize, like, it's not necessarily rocket science. A lot of this is art, but there's like fundamentals behind it you can know and read about and learn about from other investors who've done it for a while. And then from that, it's like then like formulating your own plan for how you're going to go about investing, what you care about, all of that, which, yeah, we didn't roll out some, some things on the content side around that, but it's like, it's so, it's so interesting because everyone has different opinions on things. So it's like also kind of like, but I love our resources because I feel like they're really curated. You guys have sifted through so much information. There's so much information and good stuff and bad stuff on Google on how to invest in startups and everything that 
it's really overwhelming. And that's the feedback I've gotten to. They're like, I don't even know where to start. It's so overwhelming. <laughs> I really want to get investing. I don't know the jargon. I don't know like the first thing about angel investing. But then you guys curated great stuff and it's really easy to follow, really like high quality stuff. So that's great. Yeah, and when you're in the industry, like I'm, I'm sure Gail and Caroline can say, like you meet so many different people within this that then you know like you can kind of see who's putting out content around things and who has good ideas around things and you can kind of aggregate those into like what would be good for our members and for other people who are not they don't they don't really know about this asset class yet which i think we're going to find more people are interested now it seems like i don't know like what you've seen with people you talk to as well but like there's so many people are interested in like alternative investing not just like public companies in the stock market yeah. so i don't know what you've seen on that too but yeah it's, it's interesting how that's that's progressed over time I'm curious, like with that, what do you see? Where do you see this going? Like in terms of, like the accreditation things with the SEC, like we kind of in the last year did a lot of research with this. I'm curious, any thoughts on where you think this is going in terms of like the accreditation side of it and more people being able to access this asset class? Caroline, what's your crystal ball? And then I will opine. Yeah. I mean, I think it's evident that a lot more people want to invest. I think we're going to see the rise of the retail investor. I think. The SEC will hopefully start to relax some accreditation regulations. Um, we really need to stay on top of that and stay on the forefront of that, which is what we are doing with Vitalize Angels. Um, and when we reach that inflection point, I think we'll be in a really unique spot where hopefully we have upwards of a thousand Vitalize Angels members at that point, And we've really educated a number of people on angel investing and strategy and how to think about where to put your dollars. Um, but curious to hear Gail's thoughts as well. I have lots of thoughts on the future of early stage venture and yes, um, more power to retail investors. So these are individuals that want to get involved. We have to find ways to assist in crowdfunding right now. You can go to crowdfunding, say you don't know what's good, what's bad. The, it just makes so much sense for venture firms to vet these deals. We have the experience, we have the deal flow, let's help others come into the space. So I do think we'll see a lot more model innovation here, which will be which will be great. I think founders want a couple things. They want more VCs around the table and they want diverse VCs around the table. We now have white men asking us for more diversity on the cap table. And we can provide that with, with the group that we have. We have 350, 70% of those check writers are underrepresented, that's huge. Um, what, what does that mean? It means we can help founders with intros to customers and you know, product feedback and other assistance through a set of diverse voices. That, that's where this industry is going. And I think this is actually um, really important because a lot of big VCs are going to miss out on it. They don't, they don't get it. They haven't built their firms and their LP base and their founder base in such a way to be able to compete as we're going to see an acceleration in founders' desire for this moving forward. Um, and then we're going to see, you know, lots and lots and lots of small VC funds with, you know, Tiger and SoftBank and Co2 and all the big hedge funds and alternative sources of capital crushing the top of the market. Um, what's happening right now is that a lot of VCs can't get their full allocation in deals. So they have to go earlier because they effectively have to buy options. I foresee, you know, early stage ventures being a way to buy options. We're effectively doing that with Vitalized Angels. We're buying options and deals for our fund by deploying capital earlier. And I think this is a macro trend in venture that will persist for a long time uh, because it's all about access to limited companies that have the potential to, to get big. So um, when we see that 
you know, kind of a washout in the middle of the market. I also think we'll see way more smaller funds, which we're already seeing right now. And founders are going to bring on, you know, lots of small checks. So I think, I think we're going to see a lot of cool things happen in the next three years in venture. Okay, we've had some interesting ideas come up in our meetings with with Gail, Caroline, and me in our like Monday meetings we have around different models and ideas. And I know I've like messaged with Caroline before, like afterwards around like some of those things. But like, think of, what do you think about smaller funds either joining other funds to become you know I, even like Legion or her fund she joined Variant uh, as one example. Um, we have talked about another model with like what if we just raise a fund every year? Do you have ten million dollar fund? Got those max investors. How do you think about that as like a strategy moving forward slash like where do you want even Vitalize to go to become potentially? I think I think North North Star for Vitalize is consistently raising 50 to 75 million dollar funds every three or so years, deploying into really big ideas that transform workflows. So some people call that future of tech, but at the end of the day, it's just these really cool, big, transformative software plays in the business side. Um, and the, the, the most important thing for us is to build our team and build our back end to be sustainable. I mean, that's, that's the real, that's the long-term challenge that a lot of funds have, which is historically why you've seen funds get bigger and bigger because you need more fee revenue to sustain growing operations. Yeah. And that path works for very, very few VCs. For us, we're really great at investing 500 to 750K into companies. Should we start trying to lead $3 million rounds with $2 million checks? That's not, that's not in our DNA, so we shouldn't do that. Um, historically, VC firms have been able to change their strategy over time, but I don't see that happening. So I think a lot of firms are going to stay small. Um, in fact, I've started talking to a lot of LPs about, I think there's a huge opportunity to do like a micro cap fund. Um, somebody needs to r raise a billion dollars and do a ton of $5 million checks into small funds. That's that's the future of, of venture from my seat. Would you ever, I mean, I, I know it mentioned where we kind of sit around our investment size, you know, at, at the seed round, everything, 500K, 750 roughly, but would you ever then, as things grow, you keep raising those 50 million dollar funds. Would you want to just continue having partnerships with Series A found, uh, investors and beyond, or would you ever bring on a partner that has that experience as part of it? I'm just curious, like hypotheticals, because it's fun and why not? Like, what, <laughs> of, of things like we could do in the well, future as different models. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, though? Of like that, even potentially, or like what other out there ideas that you haven't told us yet? <laughs> well, I'm real big on on being authentic to yourself and following your intuition. So when you ask me that question, what pops into my you know gut is that I I don't think you become a multi stage fund. I think very few new managers or and new funds are going to be able to go the route of A16Z yeah. and other you know really large multi stage players. So uh, the answer is no, but relationships in this business is really really important. Like we have lots of friends or Series A firms. We have a lot of limited partners who are thinking about joining us that want to invest later. So it's um, it's playing that connecting game and making sure that we can get those resources to our founders, even if it's not internal to our firm. Because you know, my gut says we focus. We're seed. We stay there. Yeah, we've got seven hundred plus co-investors in our network. So our sweet spot is really like Gail said, investing at the seed stage, but then networking with helping the founders connect to those Series A investors that are in our network. So for us to go to Series A wouldn't really make sense, but we're, we're connectors. So I think that's what we're good at. 
so here's the thing. If we I raise those 50, 75 million dollar funds, let's just say every three years, like Gail mentioned, and that stays to be the strategy kind of, but then we end up getting 10,000, 25,000 BioAsianus members. Let's just say somehow that was possible to do that. <laughs> the amount of deals that we'd have coming through would be insane. Would you then, how would you handle that in a fund perspective? Because I actually think about the growth of it and like some out, out there ideas that could be interesting for us. And I'm curious as that would grow potentially, how would that adjust our strategy? I mean, we'd start to merge with funds. So uh, if if we had if we had twenty five thousand members under Larissa's, I lead, hope so. That's also right? very daunting. Hire more Larissa. Point, very daunting. Larissa's got a big team. We're jamming. We're doing you know five to ten deals a month, and so obviously our our fund is never going to be able to pick up all the winners out of that program. Assuming we continue to maintain really strong picking, which our history shows that we we have right. Um, so I would, yeah, I'd talk to you guys and we'd, we'd figure out from our community what type of deals they want to do. And we'd find somebody in FinTech and in uh, Web3 and in health tech and whatever other areas we think are really interesting. And we'd stand those funds up on top of the platform. And, you know, I think we would figure out ways to have separate teams on those funds, but then you leverage back office, right? That's where it becomes really interesting. So where we're the current multi-stage are kind of like vertical plays where they go up the stack of venture we would be a horizontal like we're sticking with seed but it's a ton of different i like that. plays within okay i could do twenty-five thousand members yeah <laughs> how many can you handle larissa before you had to hire an actual other person <laughs> what do you think I, I think maybe a thousand maybe a thousand we need like five larissa's Yep. to manage that group. <laughs> 25,000 people. I mean, I love the, the members are great. Everyone's super nice and helpful. And I have these office hours every week and people just drop in and we just chat. I had a 30 minute call yesterday with um, Zuby. Yeah. I think it was over an hour we, we chatted. He was so interesting. <laughs> Wait, well, how interesting how so? Well, he's blind and visually impaired. And so we were just chatting about the hardships that disabled individuals and entrepreneurs face in raising capital so he put the first ever oh, i don't remember it, it was an event and it, he said it was the first time 18 disabled entrepreneurs came together in a room and pitched yeah. their ideas i said oh. ever he said ever ever that's awesome and so he's really paving the way and he he wants to make this a global thing he so i'm actually gonna do an ama with him in a couple weeks and He's also an astronaut in training to help with um, disability tech in space. And wow. he was just wow. like everything that he was saying, I said, wow, that's amazing. And he'd say something even more amazing. So just getting <laughs> to know the members on this. And so I told him, I said, I need to have you speak to the rest of the, the Vitalize Angel community because I think what you're telling me, it's so impactful to me, and I think that you should really share this with other people because I think, I mean, our, our community, because I think they would love to hear it and super educational. And you just need to spread the word that we need more investment when it comes to disability tech. Mm -hmm. And this this rolls into what Vitalize Angels is founded on, too, is bringing more diversity into investing. So, Caroline, you're leading diligence for us at Vitalize. Take us through for Vitalize Angels then, what that process looks like, all the details of that, you know, for the founder side of it as well, and also for people investing, have an idea. I'd love to hear more about that too. 
Yeah, so our process at Vitalize Angels is we bring roughly three to four companies each month to the community. So these companies are all ones that we firmly believe could be a good fit for our fund. They're just a little bit early. So they're pre-seed, future of work, B2B software companies. And they present, um, it's actually a quick 10-minute pitch, 10 minutes of Q&A to uh, the Vitalize Angels community. It's a pretty tight process that we run there. And then we give our investors a couple of days to express initial interest in the deals. The reason we do it that way is we don't want to spend our team's time and bandwidth doing diligence until we know for sure that there's interest from the community. So following the pitch, we get interest levels. If we hit 50K, which is our minimum to move forward, we then conduct due diligence on those companies. And then we ask the community members to uh, confirm their final commitments in the companies and we close everything out from there. So I think angels really like being part of our group because every single month they're seeing multiple unique opportunities and they're kind of learning and deciding how they want to allocate their dollars. So like Larissa said, we have a number of more seasoned angels who have been investing for a long time. And then we also have a number of newer angels who are starting to write 1K checks into deals and just learning about the process. And so by seeing this high volume of deals, they're able to learn and articulate and come up with their own uh, investing process. I know we get a few questions around this. People ask about what type of companies, is it you know pre-product, is it pre-revenue, where are these at, how do you choose the four? I think we get those all the time. Can you elaborate more on like what yeah. the companies are that come to Vitalize Angels? Typically we prefer post-product. So a product has, we've done one that was pre-product, but the product was almost fully developed. So usually post-product, but pre-revenue has kind of been the sweet spot for Vitalize Angels. And that's what, how we think about pre-seed. They're usually raising somewhere under $2 million. Um, in terms of funding size. And what we look for, again, is something that we strongly believe could be a good fit for our fund. And what I mean by that is it's a really big idea. It's transforming an existing workflow, which is how we think about future of work. We strongly believe it could become a unicorn. Um, and then we believe that the founder can execute. We believe they have a big vision and they have clear steps to to reach their vision. All of these things that we look at for our fund, we're, we're looking at the same things for the angel community. And I think that's why investors like being part of our group, because they're seeing deals that we will hopefully invest in out of our fund when they reach their next round. We've done like 500K already yeah. of investment, closing yeah. first eight deals in just a few months. And considering we have half like non-accredited, which is getting them involved in getting deals, like that's that's amazing. I think another question we always get that people are curious about is expected returns slash where do we even start? Because we have a lot of new investors. I mean, we have a mix. We have you know a lot of investors who have done this and done ten plus angel investing deals. Some people who have no idea. I, may, I give a story before of like how I've had like my Uber driver. We're like talking about she's in real estate, and I was like, oh yeah, we have this angel community as well as a fund. She's like, what? What do you mean angel community? And I started talking to her about it. She's like very, very intrigued by it. And by the end, I about to hop out. She's like, tell me again, what, what is it called? Like Vitalize Angels. She like look, looks it up. The next day, she like joins <laughs> Vitalize Angels. That's awesome. <laughs> which is amazing when you have non credit that can join. Yeah. But they are. Like, everyone wants to know like what do you expect? Because if public, you can see the public markets. Like all right, like. Let's get my 10% every year or whatever. Like, but what should people expect for this? Yeah, it's a tough question. People frequently ask me, <laughs> what will my return be on this investment? And I'm like, well, I can't tell you. Yeah. The nature of pre-seed 
investing really is you're taking a bet. Um, we do look for opportunities that we think will be 30x plus cash on cash return for investors. So we wouldn't invest in a deal or we wouldn't bring a deal to the community unless we think it could hit that potential. Um, the range is zero to huge. Yeah. Uh, but just expect that the money that you invest is you can light it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> you should expect zero. Hope for a big one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you would have had a great time with yeah. the Vitalize team That's and the Vitalize community. That's called a disclaimer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Disclaimer. A very important disclaimer. However, if you, if you do it right, I mean, I'm sitting on some pretty good angel deals right now. So Gail's invested in three unicorns to date. So. Let's go, Gail. <laughs> Snaps for Gail. Oh, okay. Gail. That's all. Thanks, Caroline. <laughs> Serve that up. I love it. <laughs> Oh, lots more to come. All Amazing. Right. Good. Exciting. Amazing. I think the other thing with, with Vitalize Angels and something we're going to see as time progresses, like how many people from this community are going to start as non-accredited? They're either going to get into venture, become accredited through the investments eventually, start their own funds. Like all these different things are going to happen because they got the experience of starting yeah. earlier because they get to start earlier because of non-accredited. Like that's what I'm super excited about when I think about this community and how it's going to evolve. It's like that gets way more people into venture and whether they join a fund, the next fund, or they start their own, that's amazing. But oh yeah, I started at Vitalize Angels. Like that's going to be really cool in a few years when we get to that point. Like that's going to be exciting too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm that. I got so tired of people saying like, we can't hire this person because they don't have experience. And it's like, we're hiring the same networks. In 2021, the percentage of dollars going to underrepresented founders declined. And that is because the same LPs give money to the same mm. GPs, give money to emerging managers that's been out of the same GPs, give money to the same founder networks. And so we have to find ways to expand networks. And we decided to vitalize. We're just going to do, you know, what we can in a way that's authentic to us. And we invite more, more VCs to follow suit because it's, it is time to change the face of venture. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.